And welcome everybody to the Ecom Sales Tax Podcast. This is part two of our session about software sellers and the issues that they're facing with sales tax nexus and taxability. And uh, in part one, we talked about the environment and why it is the way it is today and um, trying to sympathize basically with software companies and, and their predicament. Uh, on the line with me, I've got uh, Dan Peisner. Hi, Dan. Hi there, Andy. And uh, Dan is at a remote location this week. And uh, so no video of Dan today, but uh, plenty of his uh, witty, witty uh, repartee. All right. So always have the witty repartee in there. Okay. Um, Dan, that's a lot of pressure. You gotta, now you got to contribute some witty stuff. Thanks, Andy. I, I, I appreciate the nudge. <laughs> All right. Uh, so in part one, the, where we left it was uh, we had talked about a couple of different companies, the software company um, and the manufacturer. And really, they, they really had one common thread to them, and that is that they had undetected nexus. And had they known where they had nexus, they could have put systems in place and collected the tax or collected the certificates <clears throat> and they would have never had this problem. Let me share another. So those were two clients of ours that I've changed the names and genericized it enough so that we maintain our confidentiality. Uh, no need to disclose names, etc. But my pillow is not a client of ours. This is public information and you can Google it. And I've written, uh, a couple of articles about this situation because I just think it's, it stinks and I sympathize with my pillow, even though I'm not a customer of theirs, <clears throat> but I sympathize with their situation. I think they're just like many other businesses who sell products online and uh, so software companies would be the same. So what happened with, with my pillow is that they were, they sell pillows and they advertise on TV and um, they ship pillows all over the country, including to New York. And uh, New York, along with many other states, has a bounty program so that if someone turns in um, a company that uh, isn't collecting tax and should be, and the state is able to recover money from them, then they will share a bounty. New York's just uh, unusual in that it's so lucrative. There's two things. One, New York has the um, the uh, treble damages because of the unjust enrichment laws, um, and they treating it like a fraud uh, if you don't collect sales tax in New York, so that the potential recovery is high, and the bounty fee thirty percent is also high, and the process for turning in a company is extremely easy. It's not like you have to have uh, you know, deep inside information, you could have just gone on their website and said, hey, they're not charging sales tax. And they should be, or maybe they should be. So uh, Walt Whistleblower, got a picture of him, I captured on the security camera, um, went online, and I don't know these facts, so obviously I'm making this stuff up, but this part. Uh, the, the whistleblower goes online and finds out they're not charging sales tax, goes to the New York website, very simple just to turn them in and did. And so 
my pillow ends up, according to public information, settling for $1.1 million with the state of New York. And that's only after ad- admitting that they should, or maybe they didn't admit any guilt, but the total amount that New York was alleging that they should have collected and didn't was 537000 I believe. Yet they settled for $1.1 million, and that's because New York could have, under their statutes, imposed uh, assessment of $1.5 million. So they settled for $1.1 million. Walt got over 200000 as the bounty payment, and so it's a cautionary tale for companies, for their advisors. Uh, you just don't want to mess around. Uh, let me throw a little more caution in there in, in that uh, in New York, because that's where my pillow got nailed, um, and in many other states, officers take like the CF, CEO, CFO, those types of officers, treasurer, can be held personally liable for taxes that the tax department or the controller or the billing department failed to collect. This without even knowing. It's not knowingly. It's just it was inadvertent even, and you could be held personally liable. So this happens quite frequently. Um, maybe once a week, once a, every two weeks, I see an article of someone being held personally liable. So against millions of companies, that's that's a low percentage. I, I will admit to that. However, <clears throat> it's a frequent tactic for state uh, revenue departments to send notices to a CEO, even the spouse of the CEO saying, hey, you're a deadbeat, you, you should be paying tax. And so if you're like the tax advisor to them or you're the internal accountant for a, for a company in this situation, software company, that's the last thing that you want is that type of attention. Like what in the world are we doing? You know, it's terrible. So what you're trying to avoid is falling victim to the biggest tragedy in sales tax. Dan, why don't you share with us? I'll put you on the spot. Tell everybody in very brief fashion, what is the biggest tragedy in sales tax? Well, put quite simply, the biggest tragedy in sales tax is when you end up having to pay sales tax out of your own pocket that you could have collected in in many cases willingly from your customers uh, with penalties and interest just to add insult to injury. Yep. That's tragic, Dan. I I couldn't tell if your voice was wavering because of, you know, the whole uh, sadness of it. I think that might just be the, that, that might just be the remote connection, Andy. But in all seriousness, it's just, just when you get nailed on audit and you find out that, man, if I had just collected tax way back when, I wouldn't have this problem at all. That's when you get sick. You know, that's when CFOs lose their job. Uh, sales tax accountants get uh, run out of town, you know. So... That's just not what we want. We want to address issues before they become raging sales tax audit assessments. And almost always, when it comes to sales tax audits, the, uh, the reason why you get any assessment at all will be fall into one of these five categories. You had Nexus somewhere uh, and didn't know it, or you knew it, but you're using the wrong tax rates, 
or you knew it, but you weren't taxing your products correctly. You thought they were all exempt. Or you bought a bunch of stuff and you didn't accrue use tax on it. Um, or you didn't collect the correct certificates. So Dan, now I'm going to reveal which of these five. So I've already talked about Nexus. So assuming that software companies are on top of Nexus, even with this recent Wayfair decision, I would like to reveal what I think is the biggest issue, a uh, potential issue for sales tax for software companies. That is taxability. Let me explain. Um, across the U.S., products like software is taxed radically different. Some states it's viewed as tangible property uh, and taxed as such uh, with very few exemptions. In other states, if it's electronically downloaded, then it could be exempt. In other states, it's uh, because it's custom. So let me just share some of the different categories. This is just a reduction of, I think it was 50 different categories that we track for taxability. But as you can tell, um, there's different rules. If there's a category, that means some state has a different rule about this. So software programming services may or may not be taxable. If it's used in manufacturing, in some states it can be exempted. Used in R&D, same thing. But we also have to know, is this canned software? Meaning, typically, what Dan, what would you give me a quick definition of what canned software is? Canned software is, is anything that is pre-written and sold in mass. Anything, just about anything that you, it, you can find off of the, the shelves at your local store, assuming that you still go to a store to buy software, uh, essentially comes on a, a CD. Uh, it, it, there's no customization at all, really. That's CAM software. Right. Very good. And so notice that there's different categories of CAM software. It may be taxable if it's, uh, may not be taxable if it's downloaded electronically. Uh, there is some states that, exempt software even if it's uh, canned and not downloaded but it's for business use um, if it's loaded via the load and leave method and meaning no software left behind no tangible property left behind and then in that category you also have to know well both categories uh, on maintenance agreements uh, are maintenance agreements taxable well they may be depending on whether they're optional or not uh, and other factors. I've just included what I think are some of the major factors that software companies have to know in order to tax their products correctly across many states. And were it not for Wayfair, and you're just a small software company, you don't go outside the state, you wouldn't have to worry about these things. But now with Wayfair, and as states adopt these rules, you're going to have to really be on top of this. But you can do it. Um, what about digital goods? So software companies typically uh, might also sell some digital goods. And so here's some of the categories uh, where states may or may not tax it depending on where it falls in these categories. So uh, whether or not your rights are permanent or not um, is, is apparently a big factor in the taxability, at least in some states. And then there's various services. A lot of software companies, e-com sellers, 
offer some type of consulting package. Um, the bundling of these things also introduces a new level of complexity. Maybe their services might be considered data processing if it's a SaaS offering or some sort of information processing. Uh, a lot of companies do online training, and so they need to consider taxability. Uh, technical support services, Dan, you and I uh, worked on an audit recently where it, a, a lot of the assessment had to do with not charging tax on technical support. And uh, this is for software technical support, but um, <clears throat> there's a category for hardware technical support. So had this company been aware of that, they might have had their system set up correctly. So uh, these are some of the things you say, well, man, it seems like all software companies are going to the cloud. So the, here's another kind of a shorter Reader's Digest version of a list uh, charts that we uh, have access to um, for various categories of cloud computing, SaaS, probably the most well-known. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce, how do you pronounce infrastructure as a service, Dan? You care to venture a pronunciation there? Um, not while keeping this family friendly, no. <laughs> so SaaS, pass, and infrastructure as a service. Um, it, you have to, some states think of it as a sale of software. And then in some states that it depends on where the server is. And well, what if you have servers in multiple states? Some companies charge for setup or installation and they're separately stated. So is that taxable? Um, infrastructure as a service depends if you consider it a service or the rental of tangible property. Some states look at it as a rental. Some states look at it as a service. Um, same thing with platform as a service. So um, as you can see, the, just the categories. And for ease of presentation, I've, I've reduced the number of categories that we track just so we can talk about it. But I just thought it would be interesting. Then confirm if you think this is interesting. But um, I just pulled one of these charts that we maintain uh, track the taxability of just these cloud computing models and just in some states. So I just tried to pick some states in the West, some states in the East, some states in the South, uh, some states in the Midwest. Uh, I guess I don't have any states from the uh, Northwest. I guess I do have Washington. So as you can see, when you just kind of scan across this, um, the states uh, take uh, I'll take any of them. Uh, Connecticut, by the way, those that means it's reduced rate. And in Texas, um, cloud computing, they tend to think of it not they tend to they do think of it as uh, a data processing service. And in Texas, data processing services are taxable, but only at eighty percent of the value. So there's a deduction or an exemption for twenty percent. But that just gives you an example of just these 10 or 11 states across the U.S. and the variability of just how they tax cloud computing. And that's just today. You know, this is an evolving uh, world, not only in terms of nexus, but as states, obviously they want to tax this. But can they tax it without changing the statute? Because 
the statute is the limiting factor. They have to get the legislature back in session and get them to consider it. But if they can do it by regulation, then the Department of Revenues can do that. So um, that's sort of the some of the factors. Dan, any comments you want to make about this? Uh, yes. Uh, I, one of the things I wanted to mention, and I think you touched on it briefly, uh, if, if you're looking at these comments and saying, well, how do I know if, if this would fall under, if, if, the, if this is, uh, if it's considered a service, if it's considered the rental of TPP, uh, I've got some bad news for you. The state really doesn't know either at this point. Uh, you, most of these, most of the states really have not given a lot of guidance on infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, uh, which means in, in essence, uh, you, sellers that in these areas find themselves out in the wild, wild west of, of sales and use tax, which uh, can be a, it can be a very risky place to be sometimes as right. the, the states are really trying to figure this out. And it's, it's uh, unfortunately taxability may be in the eye of the auditor. Right. So Dan, um, when clients are just trying to decide, so we're talking to software sellers here, um, and they're trying to decide should they charge tax or not, what, what is your general advice to them? My, my general it's gray, advice. It's a gray area, right? So it's, it's a gray area. So they're, they got invoices going out to customers. We're not talking about a Fortune 100 software company. We're talking about a mid-sized software company just trying to make do. It, if you're a mid-sized software company and you've got invoice, you need an answer now and you've got the invoices going out, unless you're, unless you're talking about the states of New York or Illinois, I would go consider, consider charging the tax now. Uh, if, you, if you absolutely have to do something and don't have time, if you've got the time, we, of course, recommend doing the research, determine the taxability. If for whatever reason that's just not an option in your case, uh, we we usually err on the side of charging the tax. The uh, the reason I mentioned Illinois and New York is 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 as uh, Andy mentioned, those two states can be very um, tricky, and uh, some of the same the same things with whistleblower laws can also apply if you charge tax in a situation where tax should not have been charged. Uh, so in, with those two, we encourage you we encourage uh, our clients to take the time to determine the taxability. Okay, very good. And in some cases, even you might uh, ask for a letter ruling from a state. But that's after doing the research. You never want to just send in a request to a state. I shouldn't say never, but almost never is it good just to send in a request to a state and ask them to tell you whether it's taxable or not. Um, states frequently make errors on that, and it, and it won't necessarily protect you. All right, so the bottom line of all of this, hopefully you see, is that we're living in a different era now. And no longer can you fall back on protection of, I never stepped foot in that state because Quill is dead. So it's much easier to have Nexus. So what's the solution? And um, here's the solution. And uh, yeah, we can offer some help, but I'm gonna tell you how could you do this yourself? You could, but you got to hire the right person. So you need your own sales tax person. And here's the criteria for them. 
um, they got to really understand nexus and taxability. So the items I showed you there for sales tax on uh, software, uh, you can see how complicated that can be. So you just got to have some background and make sure that whoever you hire has that sort of expertise. Um, make sure the person that you hire is experienced in fighting sales tax audits. You definitely want that. Um, and then you're probably, once you realize, man, all these states are going to uh, start making me collect tax and I, I just don't want to be in the position of the biggest tragedy where I fail to collect it. So I guess I'm just going to start collecting sales tax in more states. So your tax person needs to have that type of experience doing sales tax returns. Um, that will be more and more important. And then, as you can see, with these other areas, you got exemption certificates, use tax, tax rates. There's a lot more to know. And so you need someone with proven experience and with the mindset that they have to constantly learn. So they're out there. Uh, these types of persons are out there, and um, but they're not they're they're not cheap. The other option, uh, an option, is to find somebody like us. Um, we think that we're uniquely qualified to help software companies. We have a lot of software companies as clients. We obviously know all about Nexus and taxability. We have a lot of experience in fighting sales tax audits. We're awesome at uh, doing sales tax returns in an efficient, cost-effective manner. And obviously, we have to stay on top of changes. Just have to. That's what we do. That's what we love. And uh, that's why we do these <clears throat> presentations. So, Dan, have I done a good job of selling us on why people should consider hiring us? Oh, I think so. I'm, I'm, uh, I think I'd hire us right now if I could. I would. I, I would love to get you working on my projects, Dan, because uh, <clears throat> I know what kind of work you do for clients. I know that you care and you're just trying to do the best you can, get the best results possible for our clients. And I love that about you. Thank you, Cindy. All right. Well, with that, I want to thank everybody who's listened in on our podcast today. This is the end of part two, where we talked about how software sellers can handle sales taxes in this ever-changing world. And uh, we hope it's been beneficial to you. And with that, I say goodbye.